listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Oh, our hope is that you go from feeling like guests to feeling like family as soon as possible. Um, this is a group of imperfect people who just stand in need of one perfect Savior together. So this is a safe place to bring your mess. This is a safe place to bring your best sin. I know it's not going to be held against you, um, that we are going to help you work through it at God's timing. And, and one of the ways that you can do that is by getting involved in a missional community, as Tommy and Becky spoke about. But if uh, you're not ready to get involved in a missional community, if you just want to learn more about our church or uh, learn more about just... Uh, kind of who we are or other, or other ways you can get connected, there's a couple different things you can do this morning before you leave. Uh, one is you can grab a connect card on your way out. You can fill out some information about yourself and you can hand that to me and I promise I will connect with you on your terms and not my terms, okay? And so if you say, I just want a text or I just want a phone call or I just want an email or whatever, I will connect with you in that way. You can also visit fellowshipparagold.com. You can learn more about us there. Um, or uh, if you want to email me at jared at fellowshipparagold.com, um, we can start connecting that way, all right? And so, again, it's good to see everyone. Hope you had a great week. Um, I stayed in a non-convent in Denver this week. And so uh, that's kind of strange. We're not Catholic. Um, I was actually there helping uh, some pastors figure out how to plant more churches in North America. And for some reason, that's where they had to stay. And so it was very weird. Didn't know it's where I was staying, but it was great food. So... Uh, <laughs> good week. All right, so uh, John chapter 11 is where we're going to be. We're ending in our series, The Emotionally Healthy Life, and we're going to look in verse 32 down to um, verse 35. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, excuse me, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, she was de- or he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And verse 35 says, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some said, if he could not have opened their eyes, the blind also could not have kept this man from dying. I'm going to ask that you pray for me one more time as I pray for you. And would you mind getting me a cup of water? Would you mind? Or that would be awesome. Great. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to slow down and to come together and to hear from you. I know that nobody got up early this morning just to be entertained. Nobody got up early just to sing a few songs or just to hear somebody talk We're here because we need to encounter you. We're here because we need our lives changed. We're here because we know that we are not complete and we need something. We need someone outside of ourselves to bring us fulfillment. And we just recognize this morning that Jesus, you're the only one who can do that. And so I pray that right now in this time that we have together that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, will take these words and that you will drive them deep into our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. I must be really in the spirit this morning. Either that or you could just tell that I was about to lose my voice. So, <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you. Have, um, <clears throat> have you ever just had one of those days, uh, you know, your, your cell phone uh, alarm doesn't go off, so you wake up late, uh, you go to get breakfast, and you realize someone's already eaten the last s'mores Pop-Tart, um, 
You know, you go to brush your teeth and you realize you're out of uh, toothpaste. First world problems. You know what I'm talking about? Um, hey, you don't have a dog to kick because he ran away, right? I, I mean, it's just um, uh, one of those mornings where you feel like you're going to lose your witness because your kids are losing their minds, right? Maybe some of you are like, yes, I've had that morning today, actually. Um, I was telling someone this past week that, uh, true story, my daughter, um, I don't know, my wife was getting ready, I think it was last Sunday, I went to go get my daughter a banana because that's what she requested for breakfast, and so I go like a good father, and I get her a banana, and I peel it for her, I hand it to her, and literally, like, she melts in her seat and goes, no! <laughs> Just like that, and I'm like, Nora, what's wrong, what's wrong? She said, I wanted to peel the banana! And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Like, is this really happening? Like, she is freaking out because I peeled the banana for her, right? I mean, maybe some of you, you've experienced things like this. I don't know if anybody else can feel my pain. Maybe it's just me. Uh, okay, good. A couple amens. But you know what I'm talking about? It's one of those days you try to get out the door, but you can't find your phone charger and, and your phone's at 2% or you can't find your keys, you can't find your kids. I mean, whatever else, right? I mean, it's just... One of those days, right, where you just kind of feel like you're a Cubs fan, right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just <laughs> it's just one of those days where it's like no matter how hard you try or what you do, you still can't win the division. You know, I mean, it's like it's just it's like the cosmos are aligning against you. And, uh, uh, you know, it's again, it's like no matter what you do, if something can go wrong, it seems to go wrong. Unfortunately... Though many of us wish this was not true, the days I just described make many days that we've had in our life seem like a walk in the park, right? Unfortunately, there are days or weeks or months that we have that are far worse than the day that I just described. I mean, some of you in here have suffered immensely. Some of you in here have lost people very close to you. Some of you have been betrayed by people you love. You've been abused. You've been neglected. Some of you have made bad decisions that have ended up with lots of pain. Some of you have had dreams that you have literally watched crumble right before your eyes. Some of us in here, maybe we've suffered very little, but there are some of us who have suffered a lot. But no matter who you are, all of us, I believe in here, have had bad days. All of us in here have experienced grief. And because we live in a fallen and broken world, unfortunately, we will experience more pain. We will experience more sorrow and more grief. And what I want to submit to you this morning is this. If you do not learn how to let grief out in healthy ways, it is going to come out in unhealthy ways. If you try to swallow grief and stuff it down inside of you, your body will reject it. And it will be just a matter of time before it spews out of your life in negative ways, not just affecting you in negative ways, but also those around you. And so my hope this morning is that we will be able to dive into the scripture and we can learn more about what grief is and how to handle grief in a way that leads us to live in an emotionally healthy life that is for our good and ultimately for God's glory. Okay, is that cool? So here's what I want us to do. Hold your spot in John 11 and go with me to Genesis chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, we'd like to bless you uh, with a Bible on the uh, welcome table. Those are free for you. That's our gift. If you have about five of those, bring four back if you don't mind, and uh, we'll give those away. So, But if you don't have a Bible with you right now, you don't have an app, we'll throw it on the screen for you. Genesis chapter 2. This is obviously a creation account. And if you start in verse 7, 
Here's what we find. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made a spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight, um, to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of uh, good and evil. Now let's skip down to verse uh, 14, because I don't know how to pronounce any of the words um, in the next three verses. And the name of... or no, I don't know how to pronounce that either. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, you're saying, okay, what is the point of you reading that? Here's what I want us to see, okay? When God created the world, he created this place called Eden, and it says in this account, he put man in this garden. And we know if we keep reading, he also takes a rib from Adam, he creates a woman, and he also puts her in this garden, again, called Eden. Now, does anybody in here want to take a stab in front of all these people um, at, at guessing what Eden means? Does anybody know what Eden means? Anybody? Okay, here's what Eden means, literally. It means delight, pleasure, or a place of paradise. Eden means delight, it means pleasure, or a place of paradise. And so when you think of Eden, think of a place where life is as God intended. It's a place where humans are in perfect relationship with each other, they're in perfect relationship with the universe, and they're in perfect relationship with God. Okay, Eden is a place that is beautiful, that it is rhythmic, and it has an unbelievable amount of pleasure, okay? And it's important that we get that today because, again, some of you here think God is just this, like, tyrant who is all about just making rules and saying, obey them or I'm going to throw you in hell, right? Like, that's just who he is, okay? But the reality is this. God is not some celestial killjoy. God wants us to have pleasure. God wants us to have joy. He wants us to have life. He wants us to have peace. All of this is his idea. And he says, ultimately, you're never going to find it unless you find it in me. Okay? So God makes the world beautiful and it's rhythmic. It's as it should be. It's enjoyable. It's delightful. It's filled with pleasure. But unfortunately, as we will see, Eden was short-lived. If you flip over to chapter 3, verse 16 and 17... Chapter 3, verses uh, yeah, 16, or, yeah, 16 and 17, it says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, all right? But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat, you will surely, what's the word? Die. So here's God. He's not trying to trick Adam and Eve. People will say, why did God put two trees in there? It's almost kind of like he tricked them. It's like, aha, like you sin, now there's death. No, God said, I'm going to give you an option. You can pick, do you want to trust me for life, or do you want to make your own path and, and, and do what you think is best? And he says, but if you do what you think is best, if you pick your own path, you're going to die. Things are going to go really bad. But unfortunately, Adam and Eve said, you know what? I don't think I trust God. I think I know better than the author of life. And so they decide to eat of the tree God said not to eat from, and immediately things go bad. Right? In fact, if you look in chapter 3, verse 24 and 25, or actually if you start in verse 22, we'll go back. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like us, right, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, look at this, the Lord God, because they sinned against God, because they ate of this tree, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden, out of this place where there's perfect pleasure and there's perfect peace and there's all this delight and relationships and everything are as it should be. 
He sent them out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword and turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. And so here again, Adam and Eve say no to God, and immediately everything is fractured. From single-cell organisms to mountains and oceans. Everything is jacked up. I mean, Adam and Eve go from having a perfect relationship with God and now having one of distance and division. They go from having a perfect relationship with each other where the Bible says they were naked and unashamed to, to hiding and having conflict and having fights and blaming each other for why things are the way they are. I mean, everything from top to bottom is absolutely screwed up. They went from experiencing perfect delight to experiencing thorns and thistles. They went from experiencing life as it is meant to be to experiencing death. And when you think of death, don't just think of physical death, but think of death of everything as God intended for it to be. Think of the death of perfect delight and pleasure and delight. Now, say, why in the world did you share all that? Listen, this is why this is important that you get this context before we understand grief. What this story reminds us is every human being, though we were meant for Eden, is now born not in Eden. We are now born into a broken and fallen world where there is death, where there is cancer, where there is sickness, where there is dysfunctional relationships, where there is wars, where there's fights, where there's bullies. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And here's the problem. No matter how hard we want to try to shield ourselves from the pain and the sorrow, we will never be able to fully escape it here on earth. And you see, because we are born for Eden... When something breaks, when we experience death in some way, whether it be physical death or relational death or some sort of emotional death, right? we feel the weight of that, don't we? we? We know that things are not as they should be. And what's interesting to me is it doesn't matter who you are or what culture you're a part of or what kind of upbringing you had, everybody feels this. I mean, I, was, uh, I had lunch with Jeremy Irvin, I guess it was the week before last, and we were at Hayes eating a salad, which is what you do whenever you eat lunch with a CrossFit instructor. It's like, mmm, cucumbers, delicious, kale. Oh, I know I love it, Jeremy, I promise. That's wonderful. Thank you for lunch. Um, <sighs> you're right. You can practice uh, forgiving me right now for that. Um, and so, um, so we're talking about his life, and I asked him for permission to share this, and, and he's just talking about just the dysfunction of his past and with his parents and, and relatives and, and and what's interesting is he said, you know, Jared, even as a five-year-old, I knew something was wrong. Right? He grows up in Southern California. He said in this very just kind of broken part of that city, all he knew was brokenness. He said, I never got on TV and saw like what a healthy family should look like. I didn't have any friends or family that's like, hey, this is what a healthy family looks like. But yet, despite the fact that all I ever knew from my birth was brokenness, I still knew it was broken. I still knew, even as a five-year-old, this is not right. And how is that possible? How can a five-year-old know that? Because Jeremy, like all of us, are born for Eden. We're born for a perfect world where there's no conflict, where there's no pain, where there's no sorrow, where there's no grief. We're all born for this, but when things, therefore, are not as they should be, right, we realize we're not in Eden, and there is when grief comes in. So we have to get this this morning. This is important. If, you, if you've zoned out, zone in for this. When we think about grief, we sometimes just think, ah, grief just happens when someone dies or when we get cancer. And, and, and yes, that is all true, but grief is much deeper than that. 
Grief happens. Listen, here's my definition of grief. Grief happens anytime we lose something we hoped would make this life more like Eden. Let me say that again. Grief happens anytime we lose something we hoped would make this life more like Eden. In other words, it's, it, grief happens anytime we lose something that we hoped would give us more pleasure and more delight and more fulfillment. And I'll give you several examples. Some of you in here this morning, you have grief in your heart because you had the hopes that you'd be married to one person for one life. And then divorce happened. And it grieved your heart. Uh, some of you in here had hopes that you would grow up in a good family, man, where you had a loving mom and a loving dad who loved each other and loved you, and yet your parents were divorced. Or maybe they abused you or neglected you. Maybe there are some of you in here, you're experiencing grief because you hoped to be married by now, and you're still not married. You still haven't met Mr. Wright or, or Mrs. Wright, and you're starting to wonder, is something wrong with me? Right? And you grieve that. Or maybe you're married, and you're wishing you weren't married now, Right? It's like you hoped for this beautiful picture of marriage where it's like, man, my wife's going to serve me awesome and the sex is always going to be great and the wife's going to be like, I'm going to be married to this man and he's just going to always work his tail off and he's going to cherish me and pursue me and it's just going to be like a romance novel and it's like it's not been that at all. And you grief that. No, you never said out loud. You're like, I kind of wish I wasn't married now, right? Maybe some of you in here hope to have children by now and you've miscarried or you've had infertility issues. You can't have children. Or maybe some of you had kids, and then you've experienced postpartum depression. And you're like, man, I'm supposed to be super happy about this, but it's like my kid's keeping me up at all hours. Something's happening to my body chemically. I mean, it's like I, I, just this whole thing is just you know, overwhelming. Or maybe your kids are older, and you had great high hopes for them, but they've gone astray. You fight all the time. I mean, it's just like they are not where you hoped they would be. Maybe some of you in here, you had high hopes for a career. You thought you'd be so much further by now in your career. Or you thought you'd be able to go to college or, or play college sports, and none of that happened. It didn't happen. Maybe some of you in here have made bad decisions, and it's derailed your life in some way. You feel like now your life forevermore is on plan B. Or you have a crazy debt. Maybe you hope to live a healthy, a healthy life, but you've seen your health begin to, to deteriorate. I mean, I could go on and on and on. And what I want you to think about, guys, is look, this is normal life outside of Eden. And what you have to hear this morning is look right at me. We should grieve these things. We should grieve these things. We should grieve them because this is not the way it was supposed to be. And we should grieve these things because we are an emotional people created in the image of an emotional God who grieves. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 7, I think we have it on the screen for you. Or we can put it on the screen for you, do we? Yeah, chapter 6, we don't have it. I can flip to it, it's okay. In Genesis 6, 5 through 7, listen to this. It says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man, and how it was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only on evil continually. And the Lord, listen to this, ready? Verse 6, And the Lord was sorry... That he had made man on the earth and it, what's the word if we have it on there? And it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land and man and animals and creeping things and birds in heaven for I am sorry that I made them. Even the God of the universe, the perfect God of the universe, grieves. He grieves the condition of the world. He grieves brokenness and listen, he actually expects us to do the same thing. 
And this is why, if you've ever read the Psalms, I mean, you will find at least half of them are filled with, with anger or frustration or sorrow or pain, confusion. I mean, just this brutal honesty woven together with faith. And I think Psalm 13, do we have that one? Okay, we do have this one. I'll throw it on the screen for you. Here's just a perfect example. To the choir master, a Psalm of David. How long, O Lord? Listen to just the, the, the rawness of this Psalm. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. We have more? Now, let, lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Two more verses. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Isn't this a crazy passage? I mean, some of us look at this and we're like, man, David's bipolar. Like, this guy needs some medication. Like, one moment he's like, God, you're amazing. And the next moment he's like, where are you? What's going on? We look at this and we're like, man, David, dude, like, like chill. And the reason we feel that way is because we just don't know what to do with emotions like this. I mean, here's a man... Right, who knows how to be honest with his emotions before God. But what do Christians tell each other? We say this, like if you're really strong in the faith, you should always be smiling. You should be happy. And when bad things happen, if you have a strong faith, you should get over it really fast. Right? Is that not what we hear? But that's not at all what we see from the scriptures. I mean, David is a man that is called a man after God's own heart. And yet he would say things like this. Tears have been my food day and night. I feel like I'm walking through the valley of a shadow of death. He says in Psalm 77, I'm so troubled I cannot even speak. God, where are you? Have you forgotten me? Have you failed to be God? I mean, this almost feels like blasphemy, doesn't it? Some of you think I would never talk to God that way. And yet it's right here in the scripture, it's right here in the Bible as a reminder that God does not expect you to stuff your pain. God does not expect you to just put on a smile and try to fake it until you make it. When grief happens, and it's going to happen, we have got to learn to be open and honest about the pain. And that's not just what we see with David, it's what we see with Jesus. If you go back to John 11, where we started, in John 11, Jesus has just lost a friend. Lazarus is dead. And just, just get this with fresh eyes. Mary, verse 32, says she came to Jesus. She saw where, she, where he was. And she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You ever felt like that? God, if you would be God, this would not have happened. This is what grief looks like. Mary runs to Jesus, the Son of God. says, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And look how Jesus responds. I love this. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. And he says, where have you laid him? And they went and they showed Jesus where he was. And look at verse 35. And Jesus wept. He wept. And this idea, by the way, the original word for wept here does not mean like he had like a little tear, just ding, you know, just fell, like, oh, that was sad. Like this means like he was dry heaving. Like he, it was almost like an embarrassing type cry. Like he'd be like, hey, <laughs> it's all right, Jesus, let's go to another room. We, we, you know why you kind of let it out, right? I mean, he was, 
so broken and torn up over this. And isn't it amazing how when Mary comes to Jesus and she says, if you had been here, this would have happened, Jesus. Isn't it amazing that he didn't say, woman, don't you ever talk to me like that again. I'm Jesus. Isn't it amazing that he didn't get mad at her and he didn't throw some stupid, just superficial, fluffy something on it just to kind of make her feel better? She didn't come and say, if you had been here, my brother had died. He didn't look at her and say, hey, he's in a better place now. Amen? (laughs) Our loss is heaven's gain. Hey, he doesn't look at her and say, you know, Mary, God just needed another angel. Let's go release some doves. He also doesn't just throw scripture on it. Isn't that our temptation? He doesn't look and say, hey, good news. For those who are called according to God's purpose, he works everything together for the good. Romans 8, 28. Which, by the way, if you've ever had that verse quoted to you in the middle of suffering, don't you want to punch the person in the face and say, good news, God's going to work that out for your good too. Isn't the American Christian response so different to suffering and pain than Jesus's is? I've done probably seven funerals, and it doesn't matter whether it's been a teenager or it's been someone that's 80 years old. When I've done a funeral, it doesn't matter what kind of life they live. You know what the parents always say? I don't want you to focus on the death. I want you to focus on what? The life. I just want you to talk about the good memories and share funny stories. And listen, should we celebrate life? Yes. We should. We should celebrate life. But here's my fear is when it comes to funerals is sometimes we're so caught up on just to celebrate life that we don't even grieve. Because it's okay to be sad. It's okay to want to just sit in bed for three or four days in the fetal position and just think, man, I don't, this is awful. It's okay to cry your eyes out and to yell and, and to holler, right? It's okay to feel this. When Jesus lost his friend, think about this. Isn't this, this just crossed my mind for the first time this week. Isn't it amazing that Jesus had been in heaven from eternity past? He knew how awesome heaven was. And he didn't say, hey, good news. I know we're sad about Lazarus, but he's in a much better place. Trust me, like he is partying hard. Like, that is true. He knew that. But he still said we should grieve the fact that he died. And I'm going to grieve the fact that he died. Jesus still went to a place of pain and he let it wash all over him. And so here's what that means for us, Christ follower. Listen, for those of you that want to be more like Jesus, you want to be more like Christ, more like the most emotionally healthy human being to ever live, you've got to learn to embrace grief. You've got to learn to embrace loss. Rather than stuffing your pain, you've got to learn to feel your pain. And I know this is hard. Because whenever pain happens, what do we want to do? We want to numb it. Do we not? I mean, that's why antidepressants are the highest selling drug in America. It's why literally hundreds of millions of prescriptions every single year are given to people because they are in tons of pain. They don't know how to deal with it. And they say, man, I need something just to numb this. I don't know how to cope. I need something to help me manage these issues. And maybe for some of you, you're like, well, man, I don't do pills. Okay, well, maybe you use something else to numb your pain. Maybe it's TV. Maybe it's shopping. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's just staying busy. Some of you are like, I would not dare dream of putting alcohol or pills And in my life, yeah, but you will just fill your schedule with all sorts of stuff so that you don't have to think about the pain. And listen, I'm not against antidepressants. I'm not saying, hey, go flush all of them. Don't hear me say, I did not say that. But I just want you to know this. The result is, if if we're trying to stuff, if we're trying to numb the pain, 
You might be able to numb your pain for a season, but it's going to come back, I promise you. You can try to manage it. You can try to sweep it under the rug, but the pain is going to come back. And what Jesus is interested in is not just helping you manage just so you can kind of get through. He wants you to learn how to receive that, and he wants you to learn how to deal with it in a healthy way. And so the question is this morning, how do we do that? And I just want to get super practical. You might be able to think of other things, but here's what I would list out for you. I've got on here six just kind of practical steps I think we can take to handle grief in a healthy way. The first thing I would say is this. If you're going to handle grief in a healthy way, you've got to learn to identify what you've really lost. You've got to learn to identify what you've really lost. Now, if you lose someone in in death, like your dad dies or a child dies, that's pretty obvious to see what you've lost. But sometimes it's not always obvious. It's not always obvious. Sometimes, like, yeah, you might have been divorced or you might have experienced the loss of a job or or whatever, and and you're grieving that, but there's a reason why you're grieving that, and depending on who you are, there's different reasons why different people grieve those things. For some people, what they really are losing is stability. What they're really losing is status. What they're really losing is a sense of security. And you've got to do the hard work of going and looking at these losses and thinking, what is it really about this that hurts me the most? What is it exactly? And again, it's going to be different for everyone. Some of you know that, that every six months I pick you know, 10 to 12 guys in the church and begin to walk with them, do some discipleship stuff, and learn biblical manhood. And the thing that I've had them do this week, and they would all tell you it's been very difficult, the thing that I've asked them to do in their homework assignment is to go through their entire life and, and literally on a sheet of paper chart out every time they had a really, really bad memory a really bad memory, and then I I sit with them over lunch, and I say, now, what was it about this memory that was so bad? What was it that hurt you so much whenever this happened? It's important that we are able to do that. Secondly, what I would say is not just identify the loss, but secondly, learn to take it to God. Before you take it anywhere else, learn to be honest with God. The Bible says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. What God wants more than anything from you is your honesty because what God wants more than anything from you is a relationship. He is not afraid of your negative emotions. He already knows what you're thinking anyway. So you need to learn there is healing and just being honest with God, even with your negative emotions. Even if you feel like, God, I think you dropped the ball right here, honestly. I feel like if I was you, I would have done a much better job of this. Where were you? Be honest with him about it. And not just for the sake of having a good vent at God and saying, what's up, man? Right? Like, it's for the sake of, again, just being honest, being open, having dialogue with him. If you look in Job, Job is just like blasting God at certain places, but yet the Bible totally says, man, Job was a man, like a a man of integrity. And why is that? Because though he was blasting God, he was going to God. He was still going to him. And if you have a hard time doing that, go and read the Psalms. Go start this week. Underline every single verse in the book of Psalms where you see David is just pouring his heart out, even in his negative emotions before God. Like almost the entire book will be underlined. It's okay. It's okay, go to God. Third, I would say, take your grief to a community. Take your grief to a community. This is why we are, one of the reasons why we're always telling you get involved in a missional community. I've never in my life met a strong, mature, lone ranger Christian, ever, ever. Aloneness is actually anti-God. Do you realize that? Aloneness is a spirit of anti-Christ. We were created in community, God said, let us make man in our image. That's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then he said, after he created everything, he looked out and he said, everything is good except one thing. And this is before sin ever entered the picture. What was not good? Man being alone. 
It is not good for someone to be alone. So he creates and he says, now go procreate. Create a community. We need to be involved in community. You need to get involved in a missional community. Get involved in a fight club. Get involved with other people that you can just vent to and say, man, this is what's going on. So that people can pray for you and encourage you and listen to you. Fourth thing I would say is this. If you're going to grieve well, you're going to have to learn to be patient. Grieving almost always takes longer than we want it to and definitely longer than everybody else thinks it should. You ever feel like you have to apologize for the fact that you're still sad over something because you feel like other people think, you should be over this by now. Reality is grief just takes a long time. And our culture tells us something different. I was actually looking at an article on antidepressants that was written to psychiatrists, that was written to doctors, and it says that antidepressants should be prescribed once people have experienced sorrow for more than two weeks. Two weeks? God, I mean, you think about some of the stuff some of you have been through. You're not crazy because you're still grieving for two weeks. You're human. I was thinking about even this past uh, week, uh, you know, my wife and I, we had our miscarriage in, in the fall. And, and even as I was talking to my wife about grief, I mean, she began to cry. I mean, she still grieves. God's gotten us through it, but we haven't gotten over it. And I'm not sure we ever should. I'm not sure there should ever become a time where we think this doesn't suck or this doesn't hurt. Pain takes time. And parents, let me just say this. This is something God convicted me of this week. I think like we begin to um, really ingrain this idea of quick, uh, quick grief in the hearts of our children early on because it's like if our kid falls and scrapes their knee, if, I don't know if you're like me, but what's my first thing I usually do is I pick him up. I'm like, you're okay. Stop crying. It's just bleeding a little bit. Almost like, you know what matters more than the pain? Your tears. And I want you to stop. You've, you've grieved long enough, right? Like I'm actually more concerned about being embarrassed that you're crying than I am about the fact you're hurting. I would just kind of like embed that in them. And I'm not saying like we should say stuck in grief, but we should realize it's going to take a lot longer than we think, and it's okay to let people grieve on their timing, not your timing. Okay, so just be patient. Fifth thing I would say is this, realize that God will not waste your pain. He will not waste your suffering. In James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, I think we have that. If we don't, I can turn to it. Is this James? Yeah, 1. Listen to what James says. This is inspired by God. This is inspired word of God. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What that passage just told us is as hard as suffering is, it's actually for your good. Isn't that crazy? Suffering actually makes us better. And we know this is true. If you think about the people that you admire the most... They've made it through suffering. They've been tested by the fire, and they've come out better because of it. Theodore Roosevelt, who uh, president, obviously I'm reading, um, I think I told you last week, I'm reading his biography. He said this the other day, that no one who's ever left a life of ease left a name worth remembering. Right? Pain, actually, is something God uses to make us better. And in Romans 8.28, I know I quoted that earlier and said we often use that in the midst of suffering. That's not really the time to use it. This is a time to use it. Before the suffering hits, we need to remember passages like Romans 8, 28 that says, for those who are called according to God's purpose, he works out everything for the good. Isn't it amazing to know that no matter what suffering you have coming on the other side, you can know that what God is up to is using it for your good if we will trust him in the midst of the pain and the suffering. The last thing I would just say is this. If we're going to grieve well, we're going to have to learn to keep perspective. 
We're going to have to learn to keep perspective. Do we have 1 Corinthians chapter 15 up, 51 through 57? Paul says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, and that's just kind of a New Testament word for death, right? We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, amen, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Good news for those of you who have trusted in Christ today. One day, Jesus is going to bring an end to all this suffering. Isn't that good news? He is going to bring an end. He is going to put death to death, which means, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, though we grieve, we do not have to grieve without hope. We know that though Eden is in our past, it is also in our future, thanks to Jesus Christ. That is why Paul would say in Romans 8, I consider the sufferings of this present world are not even worth to be compared to the glory that is going to be revealed. What that means is one day whenever we get in glory and we experience what God has for us, we are going to look and we are going to say our suffering, no matter how bad and no matter how big it seemed here on earth, it is going to be like a drop compared to the ocean of God's glory. Isn't that amazing to think about? There is coming a day where all sad things will come untrue. There is coming a day where there will be no more bad days, no more antidepressants, no more emotional roller coasters, no more death, no more miscarriage, no more cancer, no more fights, just us enjoying the overflow of God's perfections in a world where we will finally experience the pleasure and the peace and the delight that is beyond our wildest dreams that we have always been longing for. That day is coming. It is coming and we have to keep that perspective. Some of you in here, that gets you excited because you know you're in on this. Some of you, not so much because you're not really sure you're in on it. And the truth is, some of you aren't in on this. Some of you, if you die today, this really is as good as it's going to get. This is the closest thing to delight and peace you're ever going to know. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because the Bible is clear, this is the very reason God became flesh. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life you could never live. God doesn't expect you to live a perfect life. He knows you can't, so Jesus came and lived a perfect life on your behalf. He then went to a cross and he suffered more grief than you ever will. He became your sin. He became the sin of those who sinned against you. He was abandoned by his father on the cross. He died a death that we deserve to die for the penalty of our sins. The Bible says after he was buried three days later, he rose from the dead. He conquered death, he conquered hell, and he conquered sin. So now we can have the great hope that no matter what comes our way, it will not crush us. And we can have the hope that no matter now what we do or we don't do, and we continue to look to Christ, to his life, his death, and resurrection, we can know that we can have a perfect, intimate relationship with God, that he will bring us home safely, and there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate us from his love. Some of you have suffered in great ways, more than I could ever imagine. And I'm sorry for that. 
I have no idea how you feel. Nobody does except for Jesus. Jesus knows exactly how you feel, and he sits at the right hand of the Father today. This is reality. This is the ultimate reality. And he's pleading for your freedom and your peace and your joy, and you don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You simply need to go to him as you are with all of your junk, with all of your doubts, with all of your sin, with all of your sorrow, with all of your frustration, with all of your brokenness. And you can trust Psalm 34, 18, where it says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. I'm going to ask that you close your eyes and stay seated this morning. Um, Our band, if you want, you can go ahead and and kind of make your way forward. I want us to do some reflection. Before we sing again, before you start shuffling around your papers and thinking about where you're going to eat, I know it's very easy to think, okay, we're winding down and now I can kind of go somewhere else. But I just want to encourage you to think for just one moment about this topic. Have you experience the loss of something you hoped for? Have you experienced the loss of something you hoped for, something that you were sure was going to bring you delight and pleasure and fulfillment? My second question would be this. Have you grieved this loss in a healthy way? Have you grieved your losses in a healthy way or have you just tried to stuff it? Some of you have been told, especially you dudes, that you're a wuss if you cry. You're a wuss if you try to do anything other than just push the stuff down. Have you tried to stuff it? Have you tried to just numb your pain? Have you tried just running away from the pain? If that's where you are this morning, my question would be, well, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? What I want to encourage you to do this morning is to take your grief to Jesus. To know that he cares and that he alone can bring the healing that you're longing for. And then what I would encourage you to do as well is is to take it to your missional community or take it to your fight club. Or if you're not involved in one, come see me or come see Luke this morning. And we would love to pray with you and help you in your journey of dealing with your grief in a healthy way. I'm going to ask that you stand with me. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to respond in worship. One more song and then communion. Father, I do thank you so much for each and every single person that is here. I know there are some who are hurting. Some who have been um, abused. Some who have been neglected. Some who have actually maybe even been hurt by a, a pastor or someone they really trusted, and it's hard for them to even trust anybody again. God, there are people here in so much pain. Would you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, show them right now their way is not working, and it's never going to work, and that they are on a treadmill, and the, the harder they try to run, the faster it goes, the more exhausted they're going to be. Would you please, through your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see Jesus, the one who grieves for us, but doesn't leave us stuck in our grief, and offers us healing and hope of the future Eden. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.